It's Sunday, it's before the 4th of July, all that kind of good stuff. So, that's exciting. Everybody got barbecue on the mind? Yeah, 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 me too. Got a couple of ribs, that kind of thing. Just enough for myself. <laughs> Edie, Keaton, what are you guys making? We'll, we'll find out. <laughs> What'd she say? Uh-huh. Ah, that's exciting, huh? Ooh. All right, well, our lives as Christians and our development through time is certainly an interesting thing. Many of us grew up in uh, homes that participated in the traditions, family and church culture. Some people, I guess, uh, probably did not grow up in families that had a church upbringing and a church culture. But those that were, we were taught to behave in the world based on Christ-like principles but didn't really know that that was going on. We modeled our behaviors first after our parents, and then probably after our siblings, then our peers, that was a rough time, and then our mentors that we met at church, maybe in school and generally in life. Eventually, we started questioning things like, are we there yet? But the big questions like, uh, where is there, what is there, is there a there, and if so, who is there, do I want to go there, or how do I get there? I mean, eventually we came to those questions. Uh, of course, these questions are being worked simultaneously through with the questions of, 
who am I uh, later in life, and what's this thing on my face, and uh, I wonder if she really likes me. Well, eventually, as Christians, we start looking into God's Word and reading for ourselves what the pastor and Sunday school's teachers have been telling us. Uh, and then many of us went off to college, and it was there that we became smarter than God. Scripture, rather than being seen as direct and simple, became complicated and abstract. We questioned everything that we had been taught and found entirely new meanings for the words. Certainly, many of us flirted with some crazy concepts because they were seen as so intellectual. Any of you guys do that? Oh, I know you did. Don't deny that. All right, so anyway, our parents became stuck in the mud to us as we discovered what had, what had actually been debated for a couple thousand years. But of course, we thought we were having original thoughts on the cutting edge of theology. Later, as we matured and worked through life, God's grace, the word became simple again, and we turned into our parents and became stuck in the mud to our children. This morning, I'm going to look at what we might call Christian maturity by looking at the 12th chapter of Hebrews. Hopefully, God will reveal himself through this chapter and lead us all in our progress towards maturity. Some of you are further along in the path than I am, and some of you are just beginning your walk to become more of a reflection of Christ Jesus. Of course, that is the goal for all of us. And we can work together on this together, as it's one of the primary functions of this church fellowship. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for this opportunity to uh, speak uh, from your Holy Scripture. Lord, I ask that uh, I handle it accurately and correctly. Lord, I, I, I thank you for this, uh, this country that we live in, the freedoms that we enjoy. Lord, I ask that you keep your hand on it and uh, help us to maintain those freedoms and those liberties. It's not an easy thing. Lord, we just love you. If there's somebody who doesn't know you, I pray that in some small way something that is said today or the worship songs or anything might reveal you to them and they might come running to you. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in your blessed name. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Already got a drink. <sighs> Hebrews is an epistle written primarily for the Jews, at least in that context with the Jewish audience. We're not certain who wrote Hebrews, you know, some say Paul, others say Barnabas, others don't know. They have a date kind of nailed about when it was written, but I'm certainly inclined to, when I read through it, I, I'm inclined to think that it wasn't Paul, uh, as it just doesn't flow in quite the same way, but I, I don't know uh, uh, who wrote it. But chapter 11 of Hebrews is often referred to as the faith Hall of Fame, 
as it makes clear through the examples of prophets uh, and Jewish leaders of old that they remained faithful to God. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, etc. And then in chapter 12, it, it lists Christ as faithful. Uh, today, so if you want to turn to Hebrews 12, I'm going to be using the uh, New Living Translation today because that's, uh, that's becoming my new favorite version. So we'll look at Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, just to start, and we'll work through most of Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of, of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has sent before us, we doing this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. So this is showing Christ is the perfected faith. Jesus was different than the previous Jewish examples in that he never faltered, even unto death. He was fully man and suffered and fully God, and he remained faithful. He served as our perfect example. Now with that in mind, we're going to... We're going to skip over to verse 12, and here begins a practical list for us to pursue our own faithfulness and mature as Christians. There are several disciplines listed here that, there's six of them that I'd like to go through quickly, but first, first scripture is going to give us a reason why we should differ, discipline ourselves in these ways. So we'll first look at verses 7 through 11. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really, met, not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, Shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards... There will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So, discipline leads to the fruit of righteousness. Now, I like peaceful living, and I certainly strive to be righteous. So, this sounds like a list for me. So, let's get into the, the list. We'll start with the first one. That's found in Hebrews 12, 12 through 13. 
So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. So it's a stand strong. Stand strong. I just love that one. We all admire strong people who seem unflappable. We write books about them. They are respected characters in literature and in movies. History remembers their name in this country. We think of Washington, Lincoln, Tubman, Martin Luther King, and Reagan. Yeah. To name a few. In June, this past June, I did little more than read out on the back porch and write papers. Um, I was taking a master's class that was shoved into four weeks. My professor didn't seem to want me to miss out on any of the volume of reading that I would normally get in a 16-week class. So, as a teacher, I once had a student that commented that teachers forget when assigning all the homework that students have lives. In truth, we haven't forgot that students have lives. We just think their lives are completely composed of the work that we assign. Well, my professor certainly held this view. One of the books I was assigned was The Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark. The book he, in the book, he gave a response to the historic question of how did Christianity rise so quickly and become the majority religion in the Greco-Roman world in only about 350 years? He attacked this by utilizing the social sciences, primarily sociology, psychology, and economics. One of the major conclusions of the book was that the Christian community identified themselves by standing strong. They stood strong and they nursed victims of the pandemics that were sweeping uh, the, the world at that time even when most pagans, including doctors, left the cities. They just fled. They allowed women to stand strong by treating them with respect and giving them a new role within the culture. They stood strong even as martyrs, and many people who were not believers marveled at their courage. And this helped the Christianity to grow. To quote Stark, he says, quote, I believe that it was the religion's particular doctrines that permitted Christianity to be among the most sweeping and successful uh, revitalizations moments in history. And it was the way these doctrines took on actual flesh, the way they directed organizational actions and individual behavior that led to the rise of Christianity, end quote. So in summary, they stood strong. They stood apart from the people of that time. And they did, they valued Christian principles, what we see today as Christian principles. Of course, as believers, we understand that the true reason that Christianity grew is because God was and is today at work. All right. The second discipline. So the first one, stand strong. 
The second discipline is to pursue peace. This is found in verse 14. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. This verse is one that is susceptible to misinterpretation, by the way. The first part says, live at peace with everyone. That does not indicate that we should accept all behaviors and lifestyles into the church. This is where many, as, as far as members into the church, this is where many and probably most churches today fall short. In the pursuit of peace and harmony, they wind up accepting unrepentant behaviors that are manifestly against God's word. The most obvious current example is the celebration of Pride Month that we just went through. And the acknowledgement of these behaviors in most urban, major urban centers around the world. And even at the White House this year. And that ideology is also creeping into the church. How are we to combat this as Christians? Well, so far we've been commanded to stand firm. We must do that. And as we see in the second part of verse 14, stand firm by living a holy life. Our lives need to be a testament for God's saving grace. As transformed Christians, though, the saving blood, through the saving blood of Jesus Christ, we have been made righteous before God. And as we have peace with God, we need to pursue peace with everyone. Everyone means everyone. Of course, in a fallen world, this is not possible, as peace requires two. But we do have the burden to ensure that we are not the cause of division between ourselves and other believers, as well as unbelievers. We need to stick to God's truths. Stand firm. We're going to look at, uh, this is written out in Romans 12. So I'll read a, a few passages here. 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And then we go on down to uh, verses 14. Blessed those, bless those who persecute you. This is a practical measure for us as Christians. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone will see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. 
So we, the third discipline, again, focuses on our relationship with others. Now, now we're going to look at uh, verse 15, back in Hebrews 12. Verse 15. Look after each other, look after each other, so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Again, here we need to be reminded of the audience, the Jews. The warning is that no member, no member of the tribe, strictly uh, speaking directly to the Jewish, the Hebrews, that no member of the tribe misses the saving grace of God offered through belief in the Messiah. We also need to make sure that nobody misses God's, we also need to make sure that nobody misses God's grace. He calls those who miss God's grace as like poisonous roots that can infect the community of God. The poisonous root analogy, analogy is found is as a reference to Deuteronomy 29.18. And I would like to read that as well. Uh, so in verse 18, I am making a covenant with you so that no one among you, no man, woman, clan, or tribe, will turn away from the Lord our God to worship these gods of other nations, and so that no root among you bears bitter and poisonous fruit. This verse clearly shows the meaning of this discipline to the Jewish people, but does it apply to us today? Well, of course it does. For example, I like to putter around in my yard and garden during the summer, and one thing that becomes a tremendous burden to me is this guy. We've got these chipmunks in the yard. I have to tie this bag so it doesn't escape. And, and the chipmunks never eat these things. I get anybody? Well, I tried. All right. Anyway, anybody know this thing? What is it? Bindweed. That's what I thought it was. Anybody want a job eradicating this sucker? We got a farmer in the house, several. Got some ranchers. All right, bindweed. All right. Well, these guys wrap themselves around the flowers in my little garden and will eventually choke them out and kill them if I don't tend to it. Um, the other thing that I would note in this, in this particular wheat is hard to eradicate. I pull them and they come right back. It seems as if most of their work is done underground where I can't see it and I can't deal with it. Also interject or in, interspersed with the roots of all the other good plants that I want. Of course, this is how it goes in a church as well. People start grumbling. It's rarely out in the open. They grumble to their friends who grumble to their friends who grumble to their friends. You'll be grumbling after today. Pastor Jed can't have time off and leave the pastor to message to Jansen. 
Yeah, that might happen. But churches divide over issues like pews or hymns or homosexual pastors. That was quite a jump. And that one is something we should divide about. We need to protect ourselves in the church from the poisonous roots that can infect, affect, and infect our fellowship together. The fourth discipline is a continuation of the last one. Okay, so we're back to Hebrews 12, and we're looking at verses 16 and 17. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterwards, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. This is a warning to reject immorality and godlessness. As the example in scripture there, the author goes to Esau, Jacob's brother, whose flesh was so hungry that he sold his birthright for a meal. Well, we all sin, and first we are called to discipline ourselves to holiness, as seen in verses 12 and 13. But we are also called to police each other in loving fellowship. Jesus himself gave us the process recorded in Matthew. So let's look at Matthew. This is in chapter 18, looks like, starting in verse 15. I better drink first. <clears throat> If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector or IRS agent. I've been a part of this process, by the way, in both the giving and the receiving of discipline. As a receiver of discipline, we should never get past step one. As we should already know that we we should already know that we have sinned against our brothers and our sisters and, and repent. But I must confess that I've been to step two in a professional work setting. You see, in a bureaucracy, several people must receive their pound of flesh, and my mouth gets me in trouble sometimes. I've always been on I've also been on the giving end, which is harder. But I can attest that neither side of the question, equation is easy. One last point on this. We don't recognize and repent for our sins because we fear damnation. We abstain from immorality because God is our Father. And we love Him. And He has told us how we are to live. 
The fifth of six is, we skip ahead, where we have to skip ahead to in Hebrews 12, for the last two disciplines of a mature Christian. So we'll go to, um, uh, first we are commanded to listen to wise counsel, and that's found in verse 25. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. That sounds like a pretty good reason to listen. We don't see God speaking to us in the same way as is chronicled in the Bible. However, we have the Bible. The very word of God that is complete 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I should have this memorized, but I don't. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Scripture is the ultimate in wise counsel. But God also places people in our lives that can mentor us if we would only listen. We are called to listen, and as a church, we are called to preach the Bible and accurately handle God's Word. Pastor Jed is constantly asking us to guard this church by making sure that the teaching and preaching is accurately handling God's truth. I'll tell you, that's what makes this moment always so scary for me. I can get it wrong. I have gotten it wrong. Please hold me accountable as well. Finally, the sixth discipline is found in verses 28 and 29, and we are called to praise and worship God. So, in chapter, or verse 28, Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God, by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. That's what we're doing here today, right here. We come together in a fellowship family because we recognize that corporate worship and the setting of aside of time, if only for once a week, creates in us a culture that extends out beyond these walls. We come together because we are commanded to remember and to, and to and honor the blessings that we have been given. We come together to edify each other towards godly pursuits, to share with each other our struggles, and to correct each other's when we stray. We come together because God has granted us an unshakable kingdom. We worship him with awe and reverence as he is holy. We understand that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We understand that he sacrificed his son as an atonement for our sins 
so that we may live eternally with him. We come together to pray to a living God who listens to our prayers and petitions, acts on them, and seeks a relationship with each and every one of us and with everyone on earth. So in summation, we have six disciplines to work on. Stand strong, pursue peace with everyone, ensure that all grow in grace, reject immorality and godlessness, listen to wise counsel, and worship God. Some of you probably feel that you have a handle on some of these. You may feel you have a handle on others. You may feel that you need to focus on. I encourage you to pick one of them, pray about it, discipline yourself towards improvement throughout this week. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much that you are uh, living and awesome God, one that we can't really truly even fathom. We thank you for your word that gives us direction, that helps us to understand who you are and how we are to behave and how we are to interact with the world, how we are to interact with ourselves and with you. Lord, we just love you so much and we ask that we would uh, continue to work on our Christian material our maturity as we as we go through uh, the rest of this week and the rest of our lives. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.